Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. A true motivating and fulfilling act in life is compassion. It motivates true love to act rather than just to be a feeling. It fulfills a true, sincere testimony of a very close relationship. And compassion is not a product of man, but it is a source of God. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, if you look in the slide with me, and the Bible says in verse 8 through 10, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for, let's say it together, God is love. And in verse 9, I'll read to you, In this was manifest is the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might through Him, here, uh, we might live through Him, here in His love, not that we love God, let's say the yellow phrase together, but that He loved us, and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation uh, for our sin. You see, the emphasis concerning the context here is that God is love and that God was the one who reached out to us first and that he loves us first. And God showed his compassion toward us while we were, yes, sinners. And when we were lost, when we were ignorant, and when we were in sin, when we were destined to the lake of fire, God had compassion on us. So any act of compassion done by man is just a mere reflection of the true love of God, for God is love. And in the same chapter, 1 John chapter 4, Apostle John continues on to say in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. God says, hey, I loved you, now I want you to take that same love and love each other and love other people. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if we truly want to live a life that is fulfilling and motivating, then we need to learn and practice compassion. And as we think about the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave is that we love God and that we love others. And for a Christian not to obey those two commandments and not to abound in the love of Christ and loving God and loving others, I don't believe that Christian is truly growing. And we need to make sure that we keep these commandments right in front of our hearts and that we practice it with passion because everyone somewhere and somehow, I believe, they're going through some difficult times and we need some people to reach out to them and trying to uh, make sure that they know that we love them in the love of Christ. And someone has once said, if you go to the next slide, be good to everybody because everyone is having a tough time or a rough time. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, everyone, I don't know how big of a measure, how small of a measure, but the truth of the matter is everyone is having a rough time. And I think we need to make sure we don't quickly judge people or write off people because 
that lady or that man might be going through some rough time at this, uh, in this moment where uh, in every sense they cannot share it publicly. And we got to make sure we're sensitive toward their needs and toward their trial. And uh, army chaplain had a sign on his door that said, if you have troubles, come in and tell me about them. If you don't have troubles, come in and tell me how you do it. And, uh, you know, as we think about that, I guess, uh, sign, you know, that's very quite clear uh, that, you know, many people, in every sense, going through some tough time. And if they're not, hey, it's kind of amazing. And it's kind of, in every sense, uh, we want to ask the question, how do you get yourself out of trouble? How, you, how do you get yourself out of temptation that way? Or maybe trials. And, uh, but with all this being said, the truth of the matter is, everyone is having a tough time. And no life is perfectly smooth and cozy. And for many of us, we, we are prone to have the wrong perspective that casts away compassion, that puts away love for other brothers and sisters, or even lost people. I heard about a man who fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out, and he needed some help. And, uh, and as we think about this illustration, uh, there are several people who came along the way and reacted to this man who fell into the pit. And this man needed the help to what? Get out of the pit. And uh, if you go to the next slide, a subjective person came by and he said, I feel for you down there. And then secondly, an objective person came by and he says, it's logical that someone will fall down there. And then, uh, number three, a Pharisee came by. Only bad people fall into pits. And then a mathematician calculated how deep the pit was. And a news reporter wanted, to, wanted the exclusive story on the pit. And then an IRS agent asked if he was paying tax for the pit. And a self-pitting person said, you haven't seen anything until you see my pit. And then a fire brimstone preacher said, you deserve your pit. And then a Christian scientist observed, your pit is just in your mind. And then a psychologist noted, your mother and father are to blame for your being in that pit. And a self-esteem therapist said, believe in yourself, and you could get out of the pit. And then the optimist said, things could be worse. And then a pessimist said, things will get worse. <laughs> but Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. And, uh, you know, compassion... Uh, is truly needed in our society because in every background, in every, personal, in every personality, many people are somewhat indifferent and apathetic. And, uh, and, and compassions, uh, I believe when a person has a compassion, they see people differently, and not only that, they react differently. They react differently. I read a helpful article a few weeks back, and he had a phrase that truly convicted me. And if you go to the next slide, if you want to know if you're a good Christian, then ask your neighbor. Ask your neighbor. Okay. Ask the person that's living next to you. If you're a good Christian, then ask your neighbor and let them, let them tell you how good of a Christian you are. You know, we as Christians, we are very good with convictions conviction of God's word. I mean, in the sense, you know, I have conviction about the uh, inspiration and the preservation of the scripture. And nothing wrong with that. I believe in the inspiration and the preservation of the scripture as well. And they have conviction about doctrine. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. I think you should have conviction about doctrine. The deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The literal reign of a thousand years. And all those things. I mean, the doctrines are important. And we are very good with convictions concerning that topic. Convictions of standards and how we look. And maybe convictions of holiness and, and how holy we need to be in this world. And, and we talk much of that. And, and in every sense, we are in the right path concerning those convictions. But we seem to lack compassion, though. And we need both to shine the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need conviction and compassion. A Christian writer once wrote on this subject, conviction and compassion is not a binary concept of one or the other. It is both strength of conviction and depth of compassion that will enable us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that God has called us to be. Ladies and gentlemen, conviction alone will not attract people to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need compassion as well. And that's why Jesus Christ, like I said it, for the last couple of weeks, that he was full of grace and what? Truth. He had conviction in who he was and what he taught and what he preached. And he only preached and taught the words of God and the truth of God. And also, he had compassion. He had grace. We observe our text this morning. Let's notice verse 35. If you look at the next slide, it says here, we read it just a while ago, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You see, Jesus Christ was sharing the truth verbally. But if you go to the next phrase, it's quite amazing. He said, and what does it say there? Healing. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You see, through the preaching of God's word, Jesus Christ was trying to reach the soul and, and, uh, and have those people to be born again through the preaching of God's word. But not only that, he was trying to help them physically as well in their needs, in their disease. Now, are you saying that we should all be healers? No. <laughs> And uh, I believe the gift of healing was just for the early church. And, and we see that uh, uh, in, in the latter uh, epistles of the Apostle Paul, he even told Timothy, hey, hey, for your uh, stomach sake, take some wine. Why did he say that? Why, did, why weren't there healers just trying to heal uh, Timothy of his sickness? Because I believe the gift of healing was passing away at that time as the canon of the scripture was being put together and uh but with that in mind i want you to understand in the uh context of the scripture and also the application of this we need to recognize not only jesus christ preached the truth but he also had compassion to help the needs as well and in their needs of disease or maybe even financial difficulties and Christ didn't just preach. Did you know that Christ changed the water into wine in a, at a marriage? Because he ran out of wine. And also, did you know that Christ fed 5,000 with loaves and fishes? Why? Because they were hungry. They were faint. Did you know that Christ healed a lady who had the issue of blood for 12 years and all the people were thronging him, but he reached out to one person, that one lady who had faith to be healed. 
Did you know that Christ healed the servant of a centurion whom he did not even meet before? And as he was going in the way, he said, Centurion said, You don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Just say the words only, and I believe that my servant will be healed. And, and that servant was healed, and that servant never met Jesus Christ, according to the account that we see in the Gospels here. But Jesus Christ still had compassion to heal the sick and try to help their knees and their uh, uh, physical illness. But I'm just simply saying with all this being said that Christ didn't just preach, but he had a personal touch. All of us could just verbally say the truth, but are we acting in compassion? Are we having grace? Are we touching people in their lives? Just yesterday, I visited a family, and uh, they've been absent for a while, and I was somewhat worried, and, and uh, maybe uh, the church did something wrong, but then I found out that, you know, uh, her, uh, her cow, car was impounded, and she did not have a car for the last three weeks. And I let her know, hey, uh, we're willing to pick you up, and she's going through some financial struggles and difficulties, and, and the Lord spoke to my heart about First John, because First John said, hey, if you have a brother and sister in need, and she's a sister in Christ, if you have a brother and sister in need, and you don't show the bow of compassion toward them and meet their needs, how do you have the love of Christ? And I looked at her and I said, you know, we have some relief fund in our church. I'd love to give you something so that you could get your car back. And, uh, and that really helped her to know that the church is there for her. I'm not saying we should have, you know, a Bible Baptist Church, you know, a bank here, all right, where everyone comes here just to get money. But, but if someone's in need, hey, the way to show that gesture of love, to be honest with you, for average person, is to really uh, be there for them physically and also maybe even financially sometimes. And it is in the Bible in First John that we're supposed to show that kind of compassion. And not just preaching the truth and telling what it is and what it's all about, but really sharing lives together and touching their lives through uh, God's love. And, and I'm simply saying compassion is not just being here, my friend, in your heart, but it has to be outwardly with your hands. you got to do that. And that's what the world's looking for. And that's what people are looking for in this church. And they want to see some actions and reactions. And uh, what we learn from Christ in this context that we need to make sure that we're compassionate toward our community. And he was as well. And I'd like to share with you three sobering realities that we should remember as we observe the words of Christ in our text. Number one, we have the reality of the spiritual illness. And in verse 36, the Bible says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. You know, there are many accounts in the Bible where God's men were, uh, were brought to the realization of a need. And prophet Ezekiel, I think about in the Old Testament, was purposely sent by God to be with his people so that he may observe the people as they were. In Ezekiel 3, verse 15, the Bible says, They came I, uh, then I came to the, uh, 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 them of the captivity of Tel Aviv and dwelt by the river of Shemar. And I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. You see, Ezekiel received the word of God, but God said, I want you to go there, though. 
and see where they are and to be with them. And the Bible says that Ezekiel's heart and, and his, his perspective totally changed because it, 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 in the account it reads, remain there astonished among them seven days. For him to know God's word, for him to know what to preach was not just enough. He had to go where they were. And God sent them where they were and see the conditions of the people of Israel. And he was astonished and and he was truly affected by it. And, and I believe that his burden grew larger for his people. And I think about the Apostle Paul was at Athens and saw the people as they were. In Acts 17, verse 16, I'll read for you. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, the other company, he said his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And uh, as he was waiting for another group to come, he couldn't just wait to preach. Why? Because he saw the whole city given to idolatry, given to false gods, and he realized, I got to preach the gospel now. I got to uh, uh, share the love of Christ now because these people are in desperate need of the truth. By the way, when's the last time you had that burden for the community here in South Bay? When's the last time you had that kind of burden for your lost friend or lost co-worker? And see them as they are. Who they are outside of Christ. They're lost. They're sinners. And, and they're going to go to the lake of fire without the Lord Jesus. And you need to see them that way. And that's how Christ sees them. And, and not in any sense judging them, but loving them much as possible and showing compassion. And I'm just simply saying we need to have a revival of the right perspective concerning the community that God has given us and also the people that is around us. I think about Jeremiah. He wrote in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 51. Let's read this together. Ready? Mine eye affected my heart because of all the daughters of my city. Notice that phrase. My eye affected mine heart. And uh, many times, what we see does not really affect our hearts. Question for all of us. Do we have a burden for the people in our community? And, and uh, does our eyes, uh, do our eyes affect our hearts? Oh, let's be honest, we once had that compassion before, we lost it somewhere along the way. Uh, one layman found his newly appointed pastor standing at his study window in the church weeping as he looked over the inner city's tragic conditions. And he began to console him and say, don't worry, preacher, after you've been here a while, you'll get used to it. The new pastor responded, yes, I know. That's why I'm crying. Many of you have gotten used to just looking at the world as they are. Rather than having compassion, you're critical. Rather than preaching the gospel, you're preaching hate. And I'm just simply saying we need to make sure as much as we have conviction, like I said in the introduction, we've got to have compassion. We've got to make sure we have the right perspective as the world is dying and going to hell. And that's why we're trying to push for Resurrection Sunday. Why? Jesus Christ rose again for our justification. And He is living today. And He is wanting sinners to be saved. And His perspective is still the same this morning. 
and it will be until he comes back. And uh, I'm just uh, simply saying today that let us make sure we have the right perspective of our Lord Jesus Christ concerning this world. Let us cry for this city. Let us have compassion for the lost. Let us have burden for those who are dying and going to hell. And they have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They have heard about Jesus hanging on the cross. They have read about killing Jesus. They have read about the historical figure that's been talked about for the last 2,000 years. But they have never fully heard the truth of the gospel of our Savior. And they need to know it. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, do you notice lost people today? Do you see them in their spiritual illness? Do you see the hurting people? Do we see the lost people as they are? And uh, this is my fault. And Brother Josh and I were talking about youth rally, and, and he just got the, all the planning done for it. And, and uh, you know, I looked over to Brother Josh. Brother Josh, you know, I wonder if this is effective. We don't get any that much retention rate from these kids. They just come and go. And, uh, and I realized, you know, uh, after thinking for a while and we left the conversation, I realized, hey, from those meetings, we see over 30 kids saved. Even though we don't see them back, it's a wonderful thing to preach the gospel to them. That we share the gospel so that they could get saved. So youth rally is needed. And these big meetings are needed. Why? Because... Uh, uh, lost people need to hear the gospel of our Savior. Oh, Prophet Jeremiah wrote in Lamentation one twelve, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I think the world is telling us that and asking us that. I believe they will say at the great white throne judgment, was it nothing to my neighbor? Was it nothing to my friend? Was it nothing to my uh, 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 family member, my cousin, and, and my, even my father and my grandparent? Was it nothing to them that I am in this? I was in that condition. Now I am about to face a lake of fire. We need to get that burden back, and we need to observe the spiritual illness of our community. Secondly, let's not only look at the reality of the spiritual illness. That would truly have you to have compassion, not just in here, but out here with your hands and going out there. Number two, reality of the spiritual irony. Verse 37, then saith you unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Christ was simply saying the need is great, but there are no helpers. I read in Ezekiel this past week, Ezekiel 22, and I sought for a man among them, and that should make up the hedge, and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't find one man that would stand in the gap to save these people and deliver these people from destruction. I could not find anybody who was yielded, who was surrendered who had my heart concerning the iniquity of my people. You see, the irony is that the demand is great, but the helpers are few. If you go to the next slide, I want you to know the population of nearby cities in Gardena. And uh, it just helped me to recognize how needy this area is. Gardena has over 59,000 people. I mean, it's probably less than one mile radius here, and 59,000 people live here. 
in Gardena and if you go to Torrance, we have over 147,000 people. And if you go to the next slide, Lawndale has over 33,000 people. If you go to the next one, Hawthorne, over 85,000 people. And the next one, Inglewood, over 111,000 people. If you go to the next slide, Compton, over 97,000 people. And then also San Pedro, over 76,000 people. And I just, I was amazed as I look at these stats. I forgot how needy the South Bay region is. I remember going on a hospital visit in San Pedro, and I was looking at the uh, doors, and I was looking at the people, and I'm just wondering, I wonder if there's a Baptist church who is preaching the gospel here and knocking on these doors, and, and I concluded there probably isn't. I know there's probably a couple of Baptist churches out there, and uh, but they need more of it, and they need more people being sent out there so that they could uh, share the gospel to that needy city. Well, I'm just simply saying, if you go next slide within the 12 mile radius there are seven cities i just mentioned there are even more than that but within those seven cities there's 578,000 people 578,000 people that's half a million people just right here 12 mile radius There's a reason why we need to have big days. We have a big need. That's why we need to have the Great Commission right in our hearts and and go forward and preach the gospel because there are over half a million people living in the 12-mile radius. And even more, that's only seven cities, my friend. There are more cities within that 12-mile radius. If you include all of that, probably more than two millions or so. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the need is great, but the irony is the helpers are few. The laborers are few. Oh, you might be thinking, Jesus Christ only had 12 disciples and they were able to change the whole world. I heard of that before. And I remember hearing at chapel, a preacher would say that. I said, Amen, preacher. Only the few could really go out there and be filled with the Spirit and, and, and see a great miracle of God. But when I studied the book of Acts, that's not the case. <laughs> there were just only 12 disciples preaching the gospel. On the day of Pentecost, there were not just 12, there were 120 disciples. And 5,000 got saved, and then 4,000 got saved a few days later, many of them from different regions of the area, and they went out to their home cities, and they preached the gospel, I'm sure. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, in Jerusalem church, people were persecuted, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. It reached Samaria, and then it also reached Antioch. And uh, it wasn't just the 12, it was the disciples that was uh, 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 accumulated uh, uh, from those big days and and from those uh, evangelism. I think of the letter to the Romans in chapter 16, the Apostle Paul mentions over 27 names of kinsmen and family members and workers and laborers for the evangelization of the world, and they were all involved in ministry somewhere in some place. It wasn't just the Apostle Paul having burden for Athens, but it was the missionary company, and it was the early churches out in the Asia Minor, and everybody had a heart for the Great Commission, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't just the twelve. It was, and it can't just be me. 
has to be you, has to be you, has to be you, has to be you. Everybody preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And bringing people to church and being burdened for them. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, let us make sure that we see the right perspective. We cannot say, let's just leave it to the few. No, Christ says here, laborers are few. And if we say, hey, let's leave it to just the preachers and the missionaries. No, my friend. Jesus Christ's only prayer request is, hey, laborers are few. Pray that the laborers will come. If you go to the next slide, reality of the spiritual involvement we need to recognize. Pray, therefore, the Lord of harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The spiritual involvement, you know, even though Christ was omnipotent, all-powerful, he still appointed 12 disciples. He still sent out 70 disciples to preach during his ministry. And God wants us to be involved. And this was a prayer request of Christ. And people will get more, people need to get more involved as we think about the scripture and about the example that he set out. And as we pray for more people to be involved, it will convict our hearts, I believe. And, and we, we would ask ourselves as we pray for more laborers to be out there, we would truly ask ourselves, what am I doing? What am I doing? Christ wants us to be involved for he is not physically here. Now, spiritually he's here. Holy Spirit is within us, but his, his, his physical body is not here. A charitable lady of the past once wrote these words, Christ had no body but yours. Uh, Christ had no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Go to the next slide. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Go to the next slide. This is the last point. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, yours are his body. And guess who said that? Mother Teresa. I don't agree with the Catholic Church and what they teach. They don't preach the gospel. And if you're in every sense not part of the Catholic Church, hey, you're, you're doomed. And uh, Mother Teresa, in my opinion, I think she had a very good, wonderful effort of reaching out to the poor and to the needy and the diseased. She, had a, she, has a, she was a very charitable lady. I'm not sure if she was saved, though. But she knew the concept, the principle of compassion. If a lady is trying to work herself to go to heaven that way, and trying to make sure to be like God that way, why not we as born-again Christians who are saved with the truth of the gospel, why aren't we showing compassion? Why aren't we doing what we're supposed to do? If we know so much, why aren't we doing so much? Compassion. Compassion. Do you have compassion for the people today? You know, even atheists recognize that she made a difference. Bible says, some have compassion making a difference. And there's no way that you can make a difference on your family and the neighbors and the people around you in this community unless we have compassion. And let us not, ladies and gentlemen, let us not. Let us not let the world 
outdo us in this testimony. I was looking for some slides for neighbors and, uh, and uh, a little icon for a neighbor as I was talking about, hey, if you know if you're a Christian, ask your neighbor. I had a little icon there. And uh, I, I put neighbor in the PNG file. And for the price, when I looked that up in the Google image, I, the fir- I think the first page there, I think there was like 50 searches there. And then uh, for the first, I guess, a call, uh, first, like four, first four rows of it, it was filled with, with the sign or with the image that says, I love my gay neighbor. You know, the world is escalating in their sins and not ashamed, not being ashamed of it. And also, at the same time, they're in every sense loving those who are, you know, not part of the regular society. And they are winning they're winning. And we as Christians, are you saying that you should love your gay neighbor? You shouldn't, lo- Here it is. you shouldn't love their sins. But I think you should love them as Christ loves them too. And show compassion. And ladies and gentlemen, I think we need to make sure evaluate our lives individualize am i making a difference if not is it because i lack compassion and maybe maybe it is so have compassion today have compassion today